back to Keeping It Real with Janine, a podcast to assist you in living an authentic, healthy life. I'm Janine Strong, and every two weeks, I endeavor to have an informative, inspiring conversation with an ordinary person who's leading an extraordinary life. My guest today is Luke Reynolds. He's an assistant professor of education at Endicott College in Massachusetts. Luke's most recent book, Even More Fantastic Failures, True Stories of People Who Changed the World by Falling Down First. It follows up with his popular first installment of Fantastic Failures, this time with even more flops. This should be a lot of fun. (laughs) Even More Fantastic Failures explores the lives of admirable and courageous people, many of who you know of, you'll recognize their names, people who have struggled, failed, and been rejected, but nonetheless, they found ways to keep pushing forward to make themselves and their world better and more just. Luke Reynolds is a passionate believer in the power of stories to transform lives, especially stories that help us understand that we all fail and flounder sometimes. And you know what? It's okay. So let's start with, as my listeners know, I always like to start with a little bit of background and story about how you came to be doing what you're doing. Okay, great. Thanks, Jeannie. So a lot of the people who have really had a profound influence on me as a writer and as a, you know, preparing to be a teacher um, have been teachers I've had and people I've worked with over the years and mentors to me. Um, one of the most important of those is Mr. Looney. Uh, he was a, an amazing teacher I had in fifth grade. His, his real name was Mr. Looney, Mr. Robert Looney. And he, uh, his persona, his, his appearance, and his, um, his way of being in the classroom really personified every bit of that name. He, uh, that fifth grade year, he just filled us with um, just this zany, delightful view of life and literature. He would read poetry by Robert Frost to us. He would um, encourage us to write and read widely. Um, and one of the best things he, he ever did for us was he gave us an incredible um, empowerment to write what we truly believed in and what we truly cared about, not what we were expected to do for the grade level and according to the textbook. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds important in encouraging people to want to write. Yeah, it really is. And I think a lot of what we what sometimes struggle with, particularly at that age, you know, sort of the fourth, fifth, six, and, and in, even into middle school, you know, when we work with kids, sometimes we try to convince them to write what we want to hear instead of writing what they need to write to be able to grow and process what what they're experiencing, which a lot of times is, you know, fear and worry and 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 fantasy and adventure and and potentially romance and all these things, you know, sort of that fourth grade through eighth grade group is really learning and struggling through. Um, and if we can't process it in our writing, we never sort of figure some of that out. And so Mr. Looney really encouraged us to chase after that and to try to think through writing what we needed to write and not to constantly be um, held up on spelling. And if we're, you know, following the correct structure of a story, he just, his aim was for us to write, write, write. 
And I think, Jeanine, it was that year that I thought to myself, writing is just magical. It's it's amazing. It's a way to create stories and ideas and and share emotions with people um, and and be authentic. And so Mr. Looney was really that driving force. And way back in fifth grade, I remember thinking, I want to be a writer and a teacher. And um, and it kind of has stayed. And I've had other people like John Robinson, another teacher I was fortunate to work with later, who really encouraged that drive. And um, and I'm just grateful to them and many others who who cared about me and, and nurtured that passion. Wow, you were really lucky to have a teacher like that. He sounds very special. <laughs> mm, he was. And, and in fact, we still keep in touch on email now. Once in a while, we'll send an email back and forth. And um, he's just one Aww. of the most humble, kind people I've ever met. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. <laughs> so um, then what did you... Uh, I, since you're a professor, you went to college. What, what, were, what did you major in, or what did you, what did you choose to, to focus on? Well, I, I, I majored in English with a minor in secondary education, mm-hmm. um, but not without a lot of doubt, you know. And I think probably is something we can, many of us can relate to, where, you know, we think. I, I just remember thinking, I, I want to teach high school English, and this is going to be great. And then so many times along the path, I just remember feeling like. I don't know, like, you know, can I do this? Am I any any good at this? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll never forget once I, you know, I finally finished college, started teaching my first year, and I just felt like I was a terrible teacher. I could not, <laughs> you know, manage the class, and I couldn't. I, I'll never forget. I think the tableau, the image that I hold in my in my head of that first year is, I had this one senior class, and I just wanted them to, you know, I wanted to do what Mr. Looney did for me. I wanted Mm. them to really be interested in writing and reading. And this one student in the front, she just, you know, I'd start my lesson and she'd open up her math book and start her math homework. (laughs) And there was a, and I remember telling myself, I am not going to tell her to put it away. I'm going to try to make English so interesting that she'll just finally, you know, put it away. Well, she never did, you know, that (laughs) So I guess what I, I mean is that first year was a real learning curve. Wow. I, I had a lot of failure. I struggled. I wanted to quit. I had images of living a monastic life by myself and never <laughs> seeing other human beings. And, <laughs> um, wow. and it was only thanks to to my future wife. She was the one who encouraged me to give it a second year. And, ah. and that's where I really started to to learn the craft more. Oh, cool. Cool. So it wasn't... How do I want to say it? It wasn't an innate <laughs> gift. Mm. You had, you really had to work at it. Yes, yes, I really did, and and that's one of the cool things I've, you know, and a lot of the the research I've done, and what I like studying and writing about is is, you know, and so often in the 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 monolithic ideas and images we get about people who are doing beautiful things, it's always portrayed, or it's often portrayed to us as viewers and readers and listeners that it's it's just kind of natural it just sort of happens and there's no sweat involved and the more i peel back the layers of of stories of people i admire i find that it's there's often just a a lot of failure and a lot of work and it only seems natural because we 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 don't find out about the success until the person has arrived mm-hmm. and so it, it seems natural but i think along the way there's a lot of there's a lot of doubt and struggle in, in most anything um, worthwhile. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was actually, I, I found the book to be fascinating because you have so many people in it who we all know mm. and that we assume, you know, that they they just kind of got to where they were because they're talented. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And that's, and that, that was my sort of conception for so long. You know, I remember even, even especially with writing, you know, when rejection letters would pile up or, or early oh, wow. on. And even now, to be honest, I still get quite a few. Rege- I tell I, one of the classes I teach is a creative writing class. And uh-huh. I, I often tell the students, um, the other classes are education classes, but I tell the creative writing students, you know, even though there's there's some books coming out and and I'm so grateful and I appreciate that, but every day I get probably four or five rejection letters every single day. So it's it's uh, and I think that's something that's really powerful and important for my wow. students to hear mm-hmm. that this is it's it's normal. It's okay to to be rejected to to fail. It's not there. There's and then there's no verdict in it. Maybe that's the most powerful truth. I hope they hear and. I hope all of us hear that sometimes we take the judgment of others as a verdict on who we are. And, and I point. think that's a dangerous, dangerous mistake. Mm-hmm. So what do you do to keep going? I mean, four to five rejection letters a day. That's that could <laughs> you know, really <laughs> cause someone to give up. <laughs> and I, I think there is definitely. A, when, and again, when I, I think, you know, before I. I think before I sort of started to see, oh, this is normal. I thought, you know, I'm, I never forget my with my first novel that was ever published. It was called The Looney Experiment, and I remember <laughs> it gotten up to uh, based in part on uh, Mr. Looney, who mm-hmm. we talked about. Um, but I think we got to maybe 24, 25 rejections, and I thought, well, this is this is definitely a very this this novel is unpublishable. It's it's not good. It's a, and I'd written a number of other novels before that that never got published. Um, but finally, it was the 26th or 27th publisher that that bought it and wanted to publish it. And and that was a great look, um, you know, in the moment and at the time I was deeply frustrated about it. But looking back, I'm deeply grateful because I think that long journey showed me, you know, sometimes it takes 26, 27, 30, 40 publishers to reject something before you find the one. And um, it, I think it taught me the, the reality to stay with something if you really deeply believe in it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, yeah. also while you're talking, I'm thinking, wow, you know, how, how do, okay, so 25 people rejected you and one mm. person decided to pick you up. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, wow, what was different about mm. that one person, you know, what did mm. they see that all those other people didn't? I think that's mm. fascinating. Yeah, that that's a great question, Janine, and that's a. I think there's so so much power just in that line of thinking, and you know, it, it's almost like you know, like like even things like the weather, right? Like sometimes they could say like, oh, one person loves it when it mm. rains, and mm-hmm. it just feels great to be outside in that fresh rain and invigorating someone else loves it when it's 95 someone else loves it when it's 85 and sunny and i think things like writing or art or you know dance there's so much in life that's so subjective and Mm -hmm. um it's like what one person what one person's ideal weather is 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 another person's ideal story you know and and it's kind of finding this match and 
I, that's very, for me, that's a very healthy way to think about the work we do is it's not necessarily always about, um, you know, I think once you put in a lot of time to a craft that somebody believes in, it's the, the quality will be there. And then it's just about sticking with it to find that right match. What, what meshes well together mm-hmm. um, and friendships, you know, like we, we have four sons and we, we try to encourage them to say, Hey, you want to connect and be friends with people who help you feel like you can do things. They help right. empower you and you mm-hmm. empower them. And it's a mutual lifting up. You're not tearing each other down. So again, it's finding that good, healthy match. And um, I think a lot of things, like you say, are, are like that in life. Yeah. And I think that's a, a really good point is, you know, trying to surround yourself with people who are encouraging um, mm. and you know, want you to keep moving forward and, and help to encourage you to do that instead of encouraging you to give up. Hmm. Yeah. My wife made, um, she, one time when I was particularly discouraged about writing probably eight or nine years ago, and it just been like a, a couple of years of just literally constant rejection. She made this little tea box for me and in it, she put all these quotes by, you know, about, you know, keeping on and writing and, and staying with it. But there was one really great quote that, you know, just what you're talking about is from Mark Twain. And he, and it was, um, keep, keep away from small people. They'll always try to belittle your ambition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of this idea of if, if someone's small, they'll say, hey, you didn't do it, so you can't either. And I think you're right. We have to be careful of those kinds of matches when there's that toxicity to say, who do you think you are to, you know, pursue ballet to be a drummer to be a writer to be a soccer player whatever the case may be Mm -hmm. and I think um and there are those people that try to tear down and then there's a lot of people that do say hey I want to take a risk and try this and you should try things you care about too yeah well I think there really is something to the saying misery loves company (laughs) yes 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 I do too well I have I have to say your wife sounds very special (laughs) She, she, you know what, if it weren't for her, I think I would have quit teaching and probably quit writing. So, so she was, she's a great encourager and I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, I, I'm sure you do. Hopefully I do half as, as much of encouraging her as she does for me. Wow. What's her name, by the way? Jennifer, Jennifer, Jennifer Reynolds. Great. Well, um, Jennifer <laughs> is to be lauded because, you know, I mean, sometimes that's what, just what it takes is somebody who's mm. got your back. Somebody yeah. who believes in you. Mm. Mm. And um, that can be really important. Mm. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And that's, you know, even in, in, in the, some of the fantastic failures, that's a lot of what I found was these people who ended up accomplishing something really beautiful. They had, like, like you're saying, they had someone in their corner to say, keep going. It's okay. And they would be rejected or, or struggle and, and not make it, but then they look back to their corner and there's that, that one, you know, just one set of eyes saying, you know, looking at you sternly saying, yep, it's okay. I'm here. You got this. And I think you're right. We all need just at least one person like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What other ways, I think that's a really important point, Luke. What other ways can people, can help people to switch over from letting failure stop them? from moving forward and inspiring them to keep at it besides having Mm. someone in their corner? What are some of the other things that you feel are important or that helped you? 
Yeah. I feel like one, one other huge key that's important is putting the failure in context. And mm-hmm. that's a, I think that's a tough thing to do, but it's something we can, the more we, we do it, it becomes more natural. And I think a good example is like, we look at like, like say my, my third son, who's three years old, you know, when something has, say he's building a Lego tower and it falls, mm-hmm. right? Because he's three, he doesn't have a lot of experience. It's like, ah, the Lego tower, no, you know. It, it's <laughs> My life is ruined. <laughs> My life is This is it. I have spent, you know, the past 19 minutes doing this and now nothing matters anymore, you know. You know? And I think, but I think, you know, I think the, the more we live and the more we see like, hey, those things, so if we're 22 and we've never failed and we fail, we, we might feel like that Lego tower. And so I think the more context we get in our lives, the more context we can help our kids and students get to see, look, here's here's how, here's what what life is like. Lego towers fall often, and you know, and and you might get a C, and that's okay, or you might not make it on the basketball team, and that's okay. So mm-hmm. the more we can help coach kids, and the more we can, you know, self talk for ourselves to say, okay. This seems really disturbing and tragic and sad that I failed. But then if we take a step back and say, but this is one moment of my life in the context of my whole life, what part of the song is this going to be? You know, and so if we think also music is a great way for me to think of context. You know, you think of if if every song just had all the really high notes, it would be deeply disturbing to listen to. And so sometimes it is those low notes, those failures that help set up for the next sort of, you know, chorus that's going to come. And so putting it in context, I think really helps. Um, And then honesty. And this is why I think it's so important for us to be honest with each other about failures. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think kids, if if they only hear successes from parents or teachers or others, they, they can really be primed into thinking like, oh, it's, you know, failing is really unusual. And it's, it means something's wrong with me. Um, so the more we as adults talk about our failures, I think that also creates a context for kids to realize, hey, this is okay. I can I can bounce back from this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, I can relate to this because when I went to college, I really didn't know, you know, it was kind of like what was expected. I, I didn't mm. like have a real, you know, passion to do anything. So mm. I think my first, um, my first major was French. Mm. And I I don't know if I, I don't remember if I didn't like it or I didn't do that well. So I switched to Spanish. And then I actually, this is so embarrassing, um, but I'm being authentic here. (laughs) I learned how to play bridge. Wow. And Mm. I ended up for some reason, I can't fathom why now, but I ended up spending a lot of time in the cafeteria playing bridge Mm. And I was not invited back to Drake University. Mm. Wow. Mm. So mm. I ended up at the University of Minnesota because my family was living in uh, outside of Minneapolis. And I remember they have like a sort of a two-year program. And then if you do well, you can go into the four-year program. And mm. I remember the counselor telling me only one in 11 people will make it, you know, who screwed wow. up. And I was like, ha <laughs> I'm one of those one. (laughs) I'm the one, you know. So, Mm. but then, Mm. so then I went into theater and modern Mm -hmm. dance. Mm -hmm. 
I wasn't fairly good, but I wasn't like great. And I noticed that, you know, in the rumor mill, some of the like grad students in the theater department, the reason that they were making it was because of the casting couch. Mm. And I thought, you know, I'm not up for that. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. I'm really not. And mm. then, um, oh gosh, I don't know how many years later, it wasn't too much, maybe three years later. So I decided I went to the University of Massachusetts um, as a nursing student. Wow. And, mm. and that's where, you know, that's where I ended up. But I mean, to me, having all of these experiences has really enriched my life. Mm. You know, and yeah. I and yeah. it's also given me such a broad background of knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Know? And I just interviewed Paul O'Brien, and he was talking about how uh, Saturn return cycles, mm. and he was saying that uh, up till the age thirty, that's the time where you're supposed to be experimenting, challenging mm. yourself, trying different things, you know, failing whatever to find out what it is you really want, you know, what mm. really, what really inspires you. He says, it's not really the best time to like make a choice and go for it unless, you know, you've always known what you wanted to do. But for most people, it's, it's a really good time to experiment and try different things and not worry yeah. about failing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that that's so powerful because I think what you, what you're describing your journey and your, your guests, you know, that, that sense of by doing that, we create a, a life. We create all these rich experiences that then we can, we can share from that gives us wisdom, these different people we meet, different contexts we learn about, different skill sets. And all of the, none, none of that's wasted. I think that's what right. brings meaning to our lives. So that, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what... What inspired you to write these books? I think the, the the key reason, or really the the catalyst for for the Fantastic Failure series, was um, you know I, I was a seventh grade teacher at the time, and I was teaching English, and I just noticed that every time I handed back an essay, um, if the students didn't get you know a perfect score, there was this <laughs> deep you know sadness, like oh why did I get this grade or or I would see students come in and, you know, if they hadn't made a sports team or, you know, had essentially any mistake or if they seemed like they weren't fitting into a, a certain social crowd, it, it was almost like any struggle or failure, they took it as a verdict on their lives. And it, mm. I was so sad to see that. And so what I started doing, I just on a whim sort of started researching people that I knew they would know, you know, mm-hmm. interesting or famous people. And I just started looking for failures, problems, rejections, obstacles these folks faced. And then one a day, I would just, for the first five minutes of class, I would just share the story of that person. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, we would talk about Albert Einstein and the, you know, his elementary school principal direct quote, the principal saying, this school would be a wonderful place if it weren't for Albert Einstein. And, and, you know, and to look up at, at what he was able to accomplish or you know, or, or Barack Obama, you know, not being able to even get into the Democratic National Convention mm-hmm. uh, before four years later, he was the keynote speaker. And so these these really interesting moments that we just don't hear about. Mm-hmm. And I started sharing that. And, um, and my goal was I just wanted 
students to see that the people they admire and the, and the people they know about and who are achieving great things certainly felt the same level of failure, confusion, rejection that they have felt. Like essentially they're in this sacred club we call humanity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I love, Luke, how you structured each chapter. I think it's really cool because <laughs> you begin with what I would call the ideal version of each person's road to success and, Mm. you know, how we'd all like it to be. And then Mm. you go, no, not at all, or, you know, whatever (laughs) in big letters. And then you recount the reality of the failures and the hardships that, that actually occurred. And um, I think that's brilliant. How did you come up with that idea? I think we we were, uh, we were just looking for a way to make it really engaging and fun and also to kind of tap into that sort of the, the the myth of how we think of certain people, you know, that we think of people who have done beautiful things as, wow, this, like we talked about it earlier in our conversation, um, this must have just been a very natural, you mm-hmm. know, this was talent, this was sort of, they they were, this is who they are. And, and I wanted to kind of really juxtapose this is how we sort of are tempted to think of them and make it a little funny and, and, and extreme. Uh, but this is who they really are. And it, it felt like a fun um, comparison to play with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It really is a fun read. And I mean, even, you know, for somebody who's older like me, it's still, you know, it's still a fun book to read. Because I I, th- mm. I assume that your audience is young adults or mm. teenagers. Mm. Yeah, that's the, that's the original intended audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I kind of did see, I, I almost, you know, even to be honest, like the first Fantastic Things, which I, I wrote now about three to four, four years ago. Okay. I'll go back and reread it and just to, to try to stay motivated myself, you know. <laughs> so I think, I, I do hope that adults or people of all ages can find something to grab onto and to, to stay inspired. Uh-huh. Well, I was, I mean, I was really surprised at a lot of the stories of people that I, I know of. And mm. I, I just thought, wow, I, I had no idea, you know, that the, what they had to go through before they, mm. they finally were recognized or, you know, were able to really do what they wanted to do. How did mm. you, how did you find the background material? It was, um, this where it was kind of fun. I, I, the, the first Fantastic Players, I actually started researching while I was also finishing my PhD. So I was, mm. a, a lot of my coursework was in how to do research and mm-hmm. how to, you know, really go deep and find primary sources. And so I thought, okay, I'm writing this very academic um, dissertation for my PhD, but I thought, what if, what if I use some of these research things I'm learning, um, skills I'm learning and apply it to, to, you know, th- this book I'm writing for, for fun that I just really care about. And so I just looked at a lot of primary sources, especially for the older, um, the, the, the um, features who are, you know, older. And then even for the, for the very modern ones, I tried to find a lot of interviews, direct quotes, things like that. And it, it just felt like a, a little bit of a treasure hunt, you know, and it got to the point where I could, I knew I could, you know, start searching anyone and that sooner or later I'd uncover some rejection and failure along the way. So that was a very cool thing to pursue. And then also I, I have to just a huge shout out to the publishers, uh, my editor, um, you know, Lindsay and Emma Lisa, the, the two editors I worked with on mm-hmm. both of these books, 
and they were just marvelous. They would find people as well as, and so we'd be a flurry oh. of emails like, "Hey Luke, I, I just saw this cool story. What do you think about this person?" And so they would recommend people, and then I'd dive in and look at them, or they'd find articles or things they, uh, you know, the clip they had seen, and um, so it was very much an organic nature, uh-huh. plus a lot of um, a lot of support and help from my two editors at, at Beyond Words and Simon and Schuster. And so that was kind of how it came together. And it, it was definitely a team effort. Uh-huh. And it sounds like fun. I mean, I love, you know, when I'm interested in something, <laughs> I love to dive deep in research. You know, I, mm. I find that fun. Mm. Some mm. people call that nerdy, but I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it is. I don't care, but it, it's I'm, a lot of fun. I like, mm, I like learning. Yeah. I, like, I like understanding how mm. people and things work. Mm. Yeah, I think it's beautiful. I think... I kind of feel like, you know, when you look at very young kids, it's such a natural thing. We we want to learn. We want to know. We want to find things out. And I think as we go, it's almost sort of bred out of us. Like, no, don't don't have questions about all this. Just focus on essentially what's on the test or what do you need to mm. sort of graduate or make take the next step. But mm-hmm. like you, I think that's that's beautiful. That curiosity is is such a, 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 a heartbeat for us. It keeps us interested in what's going on around us and not just because it's a paycheck or a grade. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So do you have um, some of, you know, maybe I would imagine some of your favorite stories that you might like to share of people that probably the listeners would know and, and would be surprised to hear? Mm, definitely. Yeah, yeah, you bet. So <laughs> and, I, and it's kind of a funny thing because I feel like I just, every time I would, you know, research someone, I'd say, oh, this is my favorite. <laughs> you know, this is yep, the best yep, I know one. I love saying. this yep. story. <laughs> um, but there's so many I really like. I mean, the, I think probably one of my favorites is the the Barack Obama stories, the first mm-hmm. one I wrote for this volume. Um, and it was just to me that that was so moving because he is definitely uh, for me is someone I really admire. I just loved finding out. I, I, it was actually on a podcast. Um, I think it was the Axe Files podcast, mm, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. where Obama was talking with David Axelrod, his previous campaign uh, manager. And um, in it, they they go through this story of Barack Obama being unable to even, you know, um, have enough on his credit card to rent a car in L.A. He had gone there because he had just been defeated in a, a, a state Senate race and um, a congressional seat race, excuse me. And now he's at this national convention trying to get re-motivated to believe in, in politics and that he has what it takes to be a political leader. Um, and, he, and they literally will not let him onto the floor of the convention hall. They, you know, they say your, your pass is not high enough. And so he has this great moment in the, in the interview where Obama describes being in these hallways and the doors are, are closed. He can't get in. And so he's watching the speeches on the TV. And for me, that was just such a poignant image of someone who had, you know, become a president and and just an incredible world leader, win the Nobel Peace Prize, all these great things. And and yet here he is. I like thinking of him in that moment where he's in the hallway watching a convention on TV because they say, no, you don't you don't have the street cred. You can't get in. You don't have what it takes. And I think it's one that readers can identify with, particularly my middle school students, but maybe all of us being told, no, you don't have what it takes. And we sort of feel like the doors are closed on us at points in our lives. Um, another one I really like, just because it was so unusual, 
was a, the story of a guy named, and he's not a, necessarily a famous person um, that we might know, like some of the other stories, like mm-hmm. Beyonce and mm-hmm. you know John Cena, Lin Manuel Miranda. But the story of Alan Naiman is so cool to me. So he was this guy who worked as a social worker, and you know he worked with kids. He essentially found children homes, found places for them to to be safe if they, um, for some reason, were unsafe or abused. Um, And Mm -hmm. so his job as a social worker. And yet, unbeknownst to anyone, he was a multimillionaire. He had worked in business, but he spent his whole life working as a, most of his life working as a social worker, didn't spend any money on himself. He famously, um, now famously, duct taped his shoes when they ripped and and then when he died, he gave his entire um, his, his entire you know millions um, to charity, and it was a cool moment because to people who saw him, he might seem like a failure, like mm-hmm. hey, mm-hmm. you know, you're walking around with duct tape shoes, you're you you know you're wearing old clothes, you 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 know you just don't have. We we would look at someone who has the mansion and all of these nice fancy things as a success. Mm-hmm. So Alan mm-hmm. Naiman seemed like a failure, and then when he died. He actually, um, you know, he was this amazing success and the charities who he gave to were just, you know, enamored with his incredible generosity. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So those are two of my my favorites. I'll share one other one I love. Um, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who, you know, wrote the the incredible Broadway hits. And um, Mm -hmm. he, I love this moment where he describes um, how it took him a whole day to write two lines. And that's just a little, you know, we, we would think of that as a failure for a writer. Wow. I mean, if you really think of that, a whole day to write, you know, everybody take a moment. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and Grok, writing mm. two lines, that's all you get done in an entire day. Mm. <laughs> <You know>? mm. <laughs> yeah. And he, and he says like, hey, this is the journey. You know, writing isn't easy for me. It's hard. And I played around with those lines all day and I struggled. But at the end of the day, I got two lines, you know, so probably what, 30 words, 40 wow. words. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a day's work. And that's cool. It redefines success, I think. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it would be very easy to see that as a failure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, <laughs> you know, the, the um, uh, what's the guy's name? Alan? Uh, Alan. Yeah, Alan Naiman. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a really good good point. I'd like to drill down on that a little bit because, you know, we tend to look at how a person presents themselves, whether Mm. it's how they look, how they act, what they have. And, and we make judgments. We all do that. You know, we immediately make judgments. And I think that's such a good reference for why not to do that or try to catch ourselves because you just don't know what's on the inside. You don't know, you don't really know what a person is about by what you see on the outside. Mm, yeah. And that's, I think you're right. I think it, and in that way, it sometimes feels like social media has become, you know, just a, a massive high school for the world. You know, mm-hmm. we, we mm-hmm. like you say, we, we can look at these superficial, this outside sense of who people are and say, oh, this is what it looks like to be successful and to have everything together. And I think the deeper story is often far more complex and often far more meaningful. And I think 
think you're right. You know, Alan Naiman's story just really illustrates that, that it's someone who seems to look like a failure to others is actually thriving, is, is doing good work in the world and is also have these, you know, to have these millions waiting to be given away to charity. That was his sort of grand plan that he mm-hmm. told no one about. Uh, <laughs> and I think there's a, a lot of us like that, you know, the, 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 whether we want to call ourselves wallflowers or what, but it, we're people who are, we're, you know, there's a lot of people in this world doing really neat, beautiful things, but they're not in front of a microphone and mm-hmm. maybe they're not seen, right. but they matter. Their lives matter and they're, and it's important. Right. And I think, you know, these days, and especially now, a lot of people are doing their uh, their schoolwork online, mm. um, and and everybody's you know everybody's online, and with all the social media, and you know it's it's not that hard to present yourself mm-hmm. as having it all together for a while, right? <laughs> you right. know, for That's while right. you're online or while you're on Facebook or you yeah. know you're doing yeah. that video, but mm-hmm. so many people who are able to pull that off. Mm. And, and I hear this a lot from lots of different people, you know, in their everyday lives, they're, they're feeling anxious. They might be feeling depressed. They might be feeling mm. like a failure, um, mm-hmm. you know, but especially for younger people, all they see are these, you know, these people who've got it together and they're successful and they're happy and they're upbeat. And why am I, you know, why aren't I like that? Yeah. And I yep. think that's dangerous. I do too. I think it's very dangerous. And I think it, it, it creates, the, you're right, this false narrative that, hey, this is, this is how life should be. And this is like these other people seem to have it. So what's wrong with me? And I think that creates a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, a lot of depression. Um, and in reality, it's, we, we, I think, and one thing I continually stress to my students is, we all struggle, even, you know, no matter how we might appear online or like you say, in these moments, we all struggle. And the, the more honest we can be about that, the better. And mm-hmm. I think that's how real joy comes out of, you know, being honest about our struggle uh, right. rather than pretending it doesn't exist. Right. And it's different for all of us. Like for some people, mm-hmm. it may be relationships. You know, mm. for, for other yeah. people, it, you know, we all have our area, you know, our weak links that, you know, we all have our areas where uh, we've got lots to learn and, and we mm. have lots of growing to do. But I, I don't think anyone, there isn't anyone who doesn't have an area of their life where it, it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, even, even a lot of the, you know, the people who are these big big authors and speakers and you yeah. know doing seminars and retreats and stuff they mm. all have their dark side they all have their you know their areas usually it's relationships um, mm. <laughs> but you know they they all have their areas where they're they're kind of stuck and they're mm. they're having trouble they're having difficulty mm. but yeah. you know when you see them up there on the stage you wouldn't know it yeah yeah no, I think that's that's a profound point. I think you're right. It's a lot easier to give a speech about something than to do it. And I think mm-hmm. my wife and I will often joke to the theme you're you're driving here. We will joke about, you know, we have four boys and we'll say, you know, you read these parenting books and you can watch <laughs> a parenting video. And then it dawned on us. And, and, and this is the, the key aha moment that we had that really just helped us relax is, uh-huh. you know, we with our first son, we were, 
I particularly, I was a stay at home dad when he was young and, um, I was just watching all these, you know, videos and reading all these books. <laughs> and what was so interesting was it tended to be white men, often doctors or other, you know, with a lot of degrees giving all this advice. And then my wife and I sat down one night and we we're like, wait a minute, if this, this white guy is giving all this advice about how to be this amazing parent and what kids need, but he's traveling all year and he's doing these very expensive talks and writing a ton of books. He's probably actually not parenting his own kids. And then I just felt a total release of, of judgment because I realized it's a lot easier to, to talk it than to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, anyway. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I'm there. I mean, I've, you know, as a, uh, I've all. I mean, I've got training in a lot of things, but also as a life coach and, you know, mm. in helping people. And I'm like, you know, living with two teenage boys who are struggling right now, mm. you know, mm. and uh, it's a lot different coaching someone who has <laughs> teenage mm. boys. That are struggling. <laughs> but to live with it 24-7 is pretty mm. tough, you know? Yeah. It's pretty yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I hear you. Yeah. And and you've mm. got four. I, you know, my heart goes <laughs> <laughs> My heart goes but, out to you. It, it, it's it's not easy. It, it's no, not it easy, isn't. you know. It's and it's yeah. A lot of it is you learn yeah. as you go, you know, and you make mistakes yeah. and yeah. you know, you hope you're not messing them up. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and you hope that somewhere along the, uh, the way they're picking up good things and and that's and that is, you know, the 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 truth is, you know, and, and this is why I, I feel like these, more than anything I've written, these, these books on failure are dear to my heart because I think the truth is, you know, a story, we can tell a story and, you know, we can choose to tell it a certain way and have a certain ending. But the reality is in life, there it's very messy, it's very complicated, it's very confusing. There's lots of rejection and failure and it goes on longer than we'd like. And we can't solve it. And even, you know, I, I will, and my wife and I will continue to joke, you know, by, I have a PhD in education. I've done a ton of research on kids and learning. And, and there are so many times where I'm trying to teach my, my kids to do something and it's not working. I'm failing, <laughs> you know, and, and, and we try very hard to keep each other honest about that and to say, you know, the day that, I, the, that you, you know, say like, oh, I, I know all about this. And that's the day that uh, I think my words have no meaning anymore because I, I fail constantly as a dad and a teacher. And I think I, I've gotten to the point now where I, I want my kids to see that because I, I want them to say, yeah, you're never going to get it all right. But if you choose to accept that, you'll be a lot happier and hopefully you'll have people to walk through the, that confusion with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and really, at the end of the day, the point is to learn from it all, right? Um, because if we don't learn, then we kind of keep repeating over and over, you know, those failures. Yeah, but yeah. you know, if you can if you can stop and take stock and learn from that failure and then move on, mm. you know, that's that's the point. Because I do think we learn more from our failures than our successes. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. And those failures, like, you know, in the, in the story when you talked about 
Drake, you know, Drake and, and <laughs> leaving. And, but those moments, those, those, like you said, those failures are those, you know, the times where I have just, I remember failing classes, having to repeat, having to do different things. They can send us in different directions that we might not have taken had exactly. we succeeded. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes it's about the, the synchronicity and the timing of things that, mm. you know, we wouldn't be where we are today if we hadn't had those experiences that led us in mm. certain directions. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I think that is what's, what's beautiful. The way, you know, when we're in it, it always feels like this is not going the way it should. But then when we, I think, take that sort of bird's eye view and scan back, it, it does start to have this really beautiful journey to it that we learn and we, we take what we learned and bring it to our next chapter. Challenge. And mm. you're right. I think that it can teach us a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, this has been really fun, Luke. I, you're mm. you're a great guest. This is great. Now, um, what are some of your other books? Just so people know what some of the other things you've um, you've written are. Sure. Um, well, yeah. The, my my first book was the novel, The Looney Experiment, and that <laughs> that was a lot of fun. A middle grade novel. Okay. Um, I also love writing um, books for teachers. So. Um, I, I've one called uh, Call to Creativity, okay. and then uh, an anthology called Burned In. And What's a lot, that? And a lot of these Burned In is um, uh, is based on this one statistic I I heard during um, my um, some of my research uh, on education, which was that about fifty percent of teachers quit within their first three years. Uh-huh. And oh, wow. so Burned In was an anthology. Actually, I, I asked a lot of education writers I admire to help and contribute. And it's just thinking about how do we stay burned in as teachers and if how, how are half of all teachers quitting within mm-hmm. the first three years. And um, so a lot of the books come out of just questions, problems, confusions I, ha- I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I love writing picture books. So one of my favorite picture books is If My Love Were a Fire Chuck, a daddy's love song. Oh, who, do, who does the pictures? It's Jeff Mack. He's oh, okay. a really cool artist, uh, and he uh, really brought it to life nicely. Aha, uh-huh, aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, also, be careful talking with your hands. Yeah, sorry. Oh, <laughs> such a bad habit. <laughs> no, we all, you know, we all do it. Some just more than others. Um, <laughs> I do it a lot. I'm Italian, so. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> okay. Any other books? Yeah, and then there's an, another one called Bedtime Blastoff, which is um, <laughs> about a father and a son. We try, uh, the father is trying to get the son to bed, but the son is very, very good at concocting new uh, imaginary um, tableaus to act out with his dad and prolong <laughs> bedtime. Um, so that was quite fun. Um, and then I had the chance to work on a really cool s- series with Rodi Montijo called The Gamazing Gum Girl, which is a... <laughs> It's a beautiful story about a Latina girl who can, um, uh, every time she chews gum, she transforms into this superhero who can stretch and and do all this cool stuff and and use gum as her superpower. So Uh those are fun ones to to work on, too. Wow. Well, you've been quite prolific, I must say. (laughs) I'm glad I asked you so people can can see what some of the other books you've uh, you've written are and and might want to get them for their kids or and to read it sounds like some of them would be good bedtime stories the funny thing is i think you know it's it's astronomically more rejection than the books that have come out but i i'm grateful to to see the ones that have come out well and i'm glad you did i'm glad that you Mm -hmm. kept going because um Mm -hmm. 
you know, from what I've read, I've only read the one, but I thought it was great fun and very informative. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So how can people, I assume your books are all on Amazon or Barnes and Noble and all that. Is that, is that where people would um, get your books? Yeah, that's probably the best way to find them. Um, there are independent bookstores that have, but um, that have them on on stock too. But probably Amazon and Barnes and Noble are the the most national, you know, widespread ways to to grab mm-hmm. them. Yeah. And I assume you have a website. I do. Yes, it's uh, LukeWReynolds.com. Okay, and Reynolds is R E Y N O L D S. Yes. Okay. If somebody wanted to connect with you, what would what would be the best way? Oh, definitely. Well, I love interacting with readers or just ah. people who had to share an idea. And uh, anyone can feel free to shoot me an email at lwreynolds at gmail.com. And I, I always write back. Oh, wow. Okay. So lwreynolds. And I'll put that on the website, too, at gmail.com. Okay, mm-hmm. great. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to share before we wrap up that maybe we haven't covered? No, just to reiterate the our, our, the driving force of our conversation, which was so fun, which is if you fail, you're not alone, and it's normal. Mm-hmm. And find someone to be your in your corner, someone mm. who can be your cheerleader, someone who can help you get through the tough times. Yes. Yeah. 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 You're here. And don't be afraid to ask for it sometimes. Good point. I need a little encouragement. My wife and I have an agreement that we could, (laughs) we can ask each other to say, I think I just need a compliment or some encouragement (laughs) right now because I'm struggling, (laughs) you know. Yeah. I think that's important. Uh, Yeah. To have that, have that agreement that, you know, you can always ask for help with someone and they can always Mm. ask for help from you. Um, Because truly a, a, a good friend you know, should be someone who is there for you when you need it in mm-hmm. both ways. Yeah. 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 Great. Well, thank you. This has really been fun. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you, Judy. I really enjoyed it as well. Yeah, it was great fun. Great. Well, you take care and um, I look forward to looking at some of your other books too. Great. Thank you. And you too, Brian. <laughs> I really appreciate all your interest and in, in your generosity. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Luke Reynolds, for reminding us all that failure is to be embraced and used to help us build resilience, and it need not stop us from success. The podcast website is realjanine.com, and as always, Janine is J-A-N-E-A-N. Go to your favorite podcast provider to subscribe to Keeping It Real with Janine, and if you're a fan of YouTube, there are video slideshows of all my conversations. Just search Keeping It Real with Janine. Do you know someone who would enjoy my conversation with Luke Reynolds? I'm pretty sure you do. So if you'd like to help out, we'd really appreciate it and share with those you love and care about. Thanks for listening. Take care. And as always, be well.